Do you crave meaningful conversations with people of different backgrounds and perspectives? Do you admire certain people from afar but wish you can get to know them on a deeper level? Thankfully, we live in an incredible age where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond the often manufactured sound bites, small talk, and social media posts we are bombarded with on a daily basis. This is a podcast that seeks to provide you, our listeners, with refreshing content from a variety of inspiring guests, a place where we can truly hear their stories. I'm Karen Corrin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 15 of Soul Sessions with KK. I'm your host, Karen Corrin, and my next guest is the wonderful Esty Rose. Esty Rose is a genetic counselor with JScreen, the national nonprofit for Jewish genetic testing. Esty will be joining us today to discuss genetic screening for the Jewish community and more specifically, the Persian Jewish community, which I'm a part of. She will debunk the myths and misconceptions and discuss how JScreen has transformed the community's access to genetic testing with its at-home, low-cost, saliva-based test. Anyone interested in learning more can visit jscreen.org. And without further ado, I would love to welcome Esty Rose. Hey, Esty, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Soul Sessions. It's an honor to have you on the show. Can you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself, what you, who you are and what you do? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'm SD Rose, and I'm a genetic counselor for JScreen. Um, genetic counselors are very important in the genetic testing process, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about it later. But basically, um, we talk to our patients about what genetic diseases they carry, and then we talk to them about different options they have moving forward if they have positive results. Okay, wonderful. Um, I mean, what is the benefit of people knowing what genetic diseases they, they have? Yeah, so I mean, in general, I believe that people should have information about themselves. So they should have any health information about themselves. So you go to a doctor and they take your blood pressure, you should know whether or not you have high blood pressure. So anytime anybody does any kind of medical test, I believe it's important for them to get the results and to have knowledge about what's going on in their bodies. Um, Some people believe that for genetic carrier status, it's not really that important to have that information because being a carrier for many of these diseases doesn't really impact your health at all. It can only impact your children if both you and your partner are carriers for the same conditions. So being a carrier generally doesn't really mean anything about yourself. So some people think, well, what's the point of telling people what they're carriers for if it doesn't mean they have to take any medications or change their medical management at all? What's the point of telling them and increasing the panic? So a lot of people or some people say, what's the point? Why, Why bother and why induce this kind of panic in the community? I personally don't believe in that because I think that people should know what's going on inside their bodies. Um, And in addition to that, I find that if people know what their carriers for, they tend to share it within the family more than if they don't know what's going on. So people Mm -hmm. won't say, I got tested and I might or might not be a carrier for something. I don't know. I never got the results. Instead, they'll say, I got tested and I'm a carrier for Tay-Sachs disease. Make sure you get tested too. So it kind of helps, you know, spread the word within the family when we know that something specific might be running through the family. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's only if the family is receptive to that kind of information. Yeah. So 
obviously there's genetic diseases in the Ashkenazi community and the Sephardi community. I'm Sephardi myself. I'm a Persian Jew, um, specifically Mashadi Persian Jew. And I find that in my community, um, genetic diseases aren't spoken about. It's not at all. Um, I find that too <laughs> in the Persian community. Yeah. I mean, I see it in a lot of the Sephardi Mizrahi communities. Um, for, there are many reasons and I've spoken to a lot of people in the community as to why people are a little bit more shy about it or a little bit more private mm -hmm. or secretive about things. Can you tell uh, us why, like what reasons they might tell you? I'll tell you what I've heard. Yeah. So I, mean, I think one thing is that people think that it's just an Ashkenazi problem. So historically, you know, the Ashkenazi community has been testing for Tay-Sachs disease and cystic fibrosis for the last 30 years. And it's kind of just like the Ashkenazi thing, you know, that, oh, it's an Ashkenazi problem. Right. However, as a genetic counselor, I know that that's not true. And I know there are also conditions that are common in people of other ethnicities. So people who are Sparty, people who are Mizrahi, people who are not even Jewish at all. Like every population has their own list of diseases that are more common in those communities. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, I guess because the Ashkenazis came first, a lot of people believe, which is not true, but they believe that it's just an Ashkenazi problem. So trying to go into the community and convince people like, no, this applies to you too, is not so easy. They like to believe that it doesn't apply to them and it's not their problem. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first reason I've been seeing that people have been not so receptive to this. Um, I think another reason is that a lot of, you could please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I've been hearing is that the rabbi plays a very, very important role in people's medical decisions. So unless you have the rabbi of your community who's telling you, make sure to do this, people might not do it. So it sounds to me like first you have to have the head rabbi on board. And mm -hmm. then if he says, make sure you do this, then people will be more likely to listen to the medical professional. Do you find this amongst the religious, the more religious Spartans yeah. and the like traditional non-religious? I think I see it more amongst the religious community, um, specifically the Persian community and the Bukharian. I think those are the two where I see it the most. It doesn't mean that it only exists in those two communities, but that's definitely where I see it the most. So, I mean, I've heard from people within the communities that the best place to go to get buy-in to do this kind of stuff is to speak to the rabbis first. And if the rabbi makes some kind of a declaration that this is important to do, then maybe people will be a little bit more receptive to listening to me and the other medical professionals. Um, that's so interesting. Know, yeah. Okay, so that's number two. What's another reason you would think? I think that there's some paranoia um, within the community. Um, I think that people feel like if there's something genetic going on in, in their family member or their relative, then that will stigmatize them. And they believe that it's better to not talk about it and not know about it so that you don't have information to share with people. So I think this applies to many different parts of people's lives. I mean, people just in general don't want people to know that there's stuff going on. Um, when it comes to marriageability and their children getting married, they're worried that people are going to find out that this guy or this girl's brother or sister has a genetic disease and nobody's going to want to marry them. So I think this whole fear of stigmatization is a really big issue within the Persian community and also some of the other Sparty communities. And I think that combination of that fear and the rabbis not telling them to do it and oh this is not our problem it's an Ashkenazi problem I think all three of those things combined make it very hard for us to go into those communities and to convince them that this is really something they should be doing as well mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and that's why I thank you by the way for having me on the show because you're helping yeah. me spread the word that those things we can overcome those things you know we yeah. just need buy-in from the community and then I think we can overcome them and we can test people appropriately for sure. I find that people have a mentality <clears throat> in my community. I see it. I mean, 
I hope no one comes like, <laughs> like getting angry at me. <laughs> but I find it among a lot of Persian Jews, specifically in my community, that if you don't talk about it, it's not going to happen. If you talk about it, you're going to make it happen. Don't think about it. Be positive. Yeah. It's this whole like <clears throat> toxic positivity that, you know, this therapist, Rachel Tuckman talks about a lot. It's this, if you think positive, it will be positive. It's okay. It's okay. And I know I'm not alone where, I mean, God bless them. It's not their fault, but like even my own family, like if we're just like, we're sick and we have a cold, like, oh no, you're going to be good. You're going to be good. It's okay. Everything's okay. Yeah. Um, it's and there's something to be said about that. I mean, I wish I was that positive of a person. <laughs> so there's something very nice about it. And there's also, I think, a very spiritual aspect to it. Like whatever God wants, it will be. And why do I have to intervene? You know, I, I see that also a lot. Mm. Um, so I, I appreciate that aspect of the community that you don't necessarily see in other communities. But that it's being like said, Amuna. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. It's just like, it is what it is. Why are you doing all these extra things, whatever God wants it to be, it will be. And I, I appreciate that. You know, I think there's something very nice about that and very spiritual about that. But on the other side, you know, I'm seeing families with sick children, you know, and I, I'm seeing families that are suffering because of it. And if they would only share this information with the rest of their community and even within their family, I, I see people not sharing it within their family even, then we can reduce oh, yeah. the amount of sick babies. You know, so I, I'm seeing it from both sides. I appreciate that side of people, but at the same time, I want to say to them, like, yes, most of the time it is good news and most things do work out, but there's a way to prevent bad things from happening in those minority of cases where it might not work out well. Right, right. I mean, is there such a thing as perfect genetics? No, nobody's perfect. You know, I tell this to people all the time. Like yeah. we all have something in our family. So whether it's something genetic or something else that has nothing to do with genetics, nobody's the perfect person. So, you mm -hmm. know, we're testing for over 200 conditions at G-Screen. I'll get into that a little bit later, but yeah. it's so uncommon for people to be negative. 226 conditions, that's a lot, you know, and these are all pretty common. Most of our patients who come through are going to be positive for at least one or two or three things. It's just the way it is. And even for those people who test negative, if we were to test them for another 500 things, I'm sure they'd come up positive for something there, you know? So nobody's perfect. Nobody's the perfect genetic, you know, being. Everybody has things going on. We just need to be careful about it. And, and that's why I think that's like a good reason for people to consider getting tested just so that they know that it's not a stigma. We're all carriers for things. Nobody's perfect. We just want to be a little bit careful about it to make sure that nothing's overlapping between a guy and a girl. So we should normalize it. You know, nobody's perfect. Nobody tests negative for every single genetic disease out there. Let's just be careful about things. I mean, I think part of the problem is that this whole facade of perfection that like beautiful, beautiful clothing, your hair did, you're going out and you're presenting yourself. I think the Persian community and it, just the Jewish community in general, I think, um, stresses the importance of presentation. Yeah. You know, it goes back to like a moment I remember, like when I was single and I was rushing to the station and my hair was soaking wet because I just took a shower. And lo and behold, like I saw like one of my father's like friends, he sees me on the train on the platform 
And then like a day later, my father, my father goes to me, oh, you know, so-and-so saw you and they told me, why is your daughter out with wet hair? Oh my God. You should not be going out with wet hair. And I was like, dad, why is he even like observing how I'm looking? So <clears throat> there is this stress, this major, major stress of like how you have to present yourself. You have to look perfect because if you're not perfect, you're not going to get married and so on and so forth. So I think that really contributes to the, this problem of people not wanting to know because if you don't know then like whatever happens happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people sweep things under the rug all the time, all the time when it comes to Shadokim. So this is just another thing, like, let's not think about this and you know, everything, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Right. And it's not always that way, you know, and I personally don't think it's worth it to do that because you're risking having, you know, a baby with a genetic disease by, by doing that. So maybe being secretive about things is it, always the, the best thing to do um, right. you're not protecting your family when you're doing that you're you yeah. might be you might think you're protecting your family and you might think you're protecting your daughter or son but really you're not because they're not taking the proper precautions when they're ready to start their family yeah and i think it's this whole thing of like preventing them from hearing something negative something that's bad because again this toxic positivity where like everything's good everything's fine you don't need to know about it um, I wanted to ask you, specifically in the Persian community, what are some diseases that are specific to the Persian Jewish community? Yeah, so it's, some of them are pretty severe, actually. So you might have heard of um, inclusion body myopathy. Have you heard of that one before? Um, no, HIBM. Is that HIBM, HIBM, yeah, that's the same thing. Really, really common. One in 15 Persian Jews is a carrier for it. That's like really, so, really common. Yeah, people who have the condition, as they get a little bit older, they start... Um, their arms and their legs start to become weaker. And as they get even older, like usually by their late teens or early 20s, they lose their ability to walk. That, that's a big deal, you know? And because it's so common in the Persian community, it's probably one of the most common ones that we're testing for. Wouldn't you want to know if your child was at risk for that? You know, because if you knew that your child was at risk for something like that, there are things you can do to prevent having a baby who's go going to be sick with that. And we can get into that also. But there are options for carrier couples to prevent having a child who's affected. So that's one pretty serious one. Um, another pretty serious one is called Wolman disease. About one in 30 um, Persians is gonna be a carrier for that one. Babies who have that condition could die within the first year of life. They're basically all of their organs fail. Like that's serious and it's so common. So to sweep that under the rug and to not do your due diligence to find out if you're a carrier for it or if your children might be at risk for it. To me, that's, it's being irresponsible as a parent. And I know, especially within the Persian community, especially within the Mashadi community, it's very common for people to marry other Persians and other Mashadis. Yeah. So you're making it even more likely, mm -hmm. right, that you're going to have a carrier couple when you're marrying people who are genetically very similar to you. So that's just another reason to, to push people to get tested. You really don't want to miss carriers for this. And mm -hmm. by missing carriers, you're putting your children at risk. Um, some other common ones are pseudocolonesterase deficiency. That one's very common. One in 10 Persians is a carrier for that one. That one is not as serious as the other ones, but it has to do with um, having a reaction to having general anesthesia. So it doesn't really affect most people who have it only if they undergo anesthesia is it a problem. Um, there are a couple more that we could talk about, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that most of them are actually pretty serious and they're really, really common, especially in the Persian community. Um, when, I, when I hear about those, like, I think to myself, how can you not test for those? Like, how can you not do whatever you can to ensure that you don't have a baby with that condition? 
Right. So um, to have the knowledge if you're a carrier or if you have it, is it only to prevent future babies from having it? Or are there ways to prevent it from you having it yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. So it really depends on the condition. <laughs> Some of the conditions are more like adult onset or later in life onset. Some of them happen as babies. So Wolman disease, that first one that I mentioned, like you would know right away if a baby had it because it, it happens in infancy. Some of the older ones, you don't see any symptoms until you get a little bit older. So like that first one, um, HIVM, that one, babies who are born with it are fine. The parents don't even know that they have it. You mm -hmm. only start to see symptoms a little bit older, like in the late teens and 20s. So potentially we can actually test people at JScreen or anywhere else to see if they're a carrier for it we might actually find out that they have it, right? Not that they're carriers, but that they have it and they just haven't started having symptoms of it yet. Mm -hmm. And I understand why that could be very scary for people, right? Because they're only going into this test thinking, I'm just gonna see if my kids could have these serious diseases. And then we tell them, oh, by the way, you also have a serious disease. How's that gonna look on a shit of resume? You know, so mm -hmm. I, I understand why there is this fear of getting tested. They're definitely could be situations where we learn more than we actually were looking to learn. Um, and I understand that. Like, I, I'm not saying like, oh, everybody's just being silly. Everybody needs to get tested. I understand that you're putting yourself at risk to learn other things that you might have not have wanted to hear. But still, right. I think it's but, important to get the test done, you know, regardless sure. of that. So why would, why would someone need to go to JScreen as opposed to just going to a genetic counselor at the so, doctor's so, office. Yeah, so doctor's offices, could yeah, it's a good question. So doctor's offices <clears throat> could do a genetic test for you. Um, it really depends on how up-to-date the doctor is. So doctors could be OBGYNs or they could be pediatricians or general internists. So usually what they do is they have kind of just like a relationship with one lab who does a test. And when they hear that their patient wants to get testing, they just check it off on a, on a requisition form and say, do the Jewish test. But a lot of these doctors, they have other things to think about, and genetics is not at the top of their list, right? They're experts in gynecology, or they're experts in other things, and genetics is kind of just like a thing that they do on the side. So it's possible that because they're not experts in genetics, the form that they have could be a little bit outdated, and they might not know that there are other labs who perform even better and more comprehensive tests. So mm -hmm. because genetics is not their... Thing. They just might not be as up to date with their testing. Many doctors are up to date and you know take pride in that, and they they think that they're doing the best test. I and mean, many of them are doing the best test that's out there, but some of them aren't. So if you are going to go to your doctor, I would suggest that you just check in with them and see what they're actually doing. You know, like ask them. If they say, yeah, we're testing for twenty diseases they're not up to date and that's not the best place to go for testing. And in those cases, I think it's better to go to a genetics place because this is our bread and butter. You know, this is what we do all day, every day, and we're providing the best tests out there. So I'm not anti going to the doctor. I just say it's an important, it's a good idea to do your homework before you get tested through your doctor, just to make sure that they're doing a good test that's appropriate for you. And if not, then maybe consider going to a genetics expert. So going to a genetic counseling clinic in your area or going through JScreen, which is a national program. Mm -hmm. Right. So I remember actually when I was pregnant with my first child, my husband and I went for genetic testing with a genetic counselor. And even then I was like, well, why am I doing this now? <laughs> like, you were already pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. But that's when the doctor advised us to do it. I was like, how does this even make sense? 
Like, yeah, so that's carrying the baby. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. So ideally, the best time to catch people is before pregnancy, right? So that's what you were just saying. However, a lot of people we find don't go to the doctor until they're already pregnant. So they're not having those encounters with the doctor where the doctor could say, make sure you get tested before you get pregnant because they're not mm -hmm. going to the doctor. So at JScreen, one of our big pushes is for people to get tested before conception, before pregnancy. So we'll go to campuses, you know, where people are a little bit younger and not really like thinking about having a baby yet. Um, we'll go to young professionals, places and you know all these places where young people are who might be starting their family and might not be starting their family yet but the best time to really get tested is before pregnancy and the reason for that is because you'll have more options available to you if you're not already pregnant mm -hmm. when there is an issue or if there is an issue once you're already pregnant your options are much fewer um, and we can talk right. about that as well but yeah ideally the best time to get tested is before pregnancy um, we're very proud to say at JScreen that our the amount of patients that we have who are already pregnant is significantly lower than the amount of patients that we have who are not pregnant, which means wow. that we're doing the right thing, right? We're getting out there before a pregnancy so that people have more options in case there's an issue. Do you think people should do it when they're single or will that just add more like paranoia and fear when already in the shit of world, it's already so, you know, induced with fear? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, my broad answer to that is the best time to get tested is before a pregnancy. That's a very broad general statement because before a pregnancy could mean when you're already married and actually thinking about getting pregnant. It could mean before you get engaged. It could mean before you go on a first date. It really could mean anything. Um, and it really depends on who the person is and what their shidduch scene or not shidduch scene is like. So for some people, it's very normal to get tested before you even meet, you know, like especially in the more, you know, you know, yeshiva or Hasidic yeah. places, like they just do it before they even meet each other and before they go on a first date. It's just the thing you do. In other communities, like maybe in the more modern Orthodox communities, they don't bring it up until they've already dated a couple times and they say like, hmm, maybe this is going to go somewhere. To me, like as the genetics person, I don't care when you do it as long as it's before pregnancy, but I do see differences within the communities about when the best time to get tested is. And I think because genetic testing has become such a normal thing for people to do, it shouldn't really be seen as like an awkward thing or a weird thing to bring up when you're in the dating scene. You know, like mm -hmm. I don't think it's like, hey, do you, are you on any medications? It's more like, oh, did you do the taste excess? No? Oh, make sure you get it done. You know, like it's just like a thing that you do. You check it off on your list before you get engaged. You know, like it's not, it's not like an awkward thing. It doesn't mean like, hey, I think we're really going to get married. Make sure you get tested. Like, I think it's just thing you say to people and I definitely see it's become more normal within the at least in the Ashkenazi community it's become so much more normal and it's not like an uncomfortable thing to talk about have you ever heard of a story where someone like a couple broke up because they found out one of them was carrying something or has a disease have you heard of stories like that oh all the time yeah all the time. So, okay, I guess I guess I want to start by saying that most of the time this doesn't happen. Most of the time there's good news. Okay. I yeah. definitely want to make that clear. I don't want to make it sound like every time we have a situation, it's a disaster. Not at all. Right. Most, right. most of the time people are compatible with each other genetically and we don't have to even have the conversation and everything's okay. However, when we do have to have the conversation, when we see that we have a carrier couple where both the guy and the girl are both carriers for the same thing, and there's a one in four chance for each of their children to be affected, that's when we sit down with them and we have a very long conversation about what to do with this information. 
Mm -hmm. So back in the 1980s, when all of this genetic testing started and we didn't really have so many options for people, we would tell people like you could roll the dice and get lucky or you can roll the dice and not be lucky every time you have your child. And because of that, in those days, a lot of people would break up or they would decide we're not going to have children together or we're going to adopt or, you know, something like that because they were too scared to roll the dice. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's not really like that anymore because we have many more reproductive technologies available to us where we could get answers a lot sooner in a pregnancy or even try to figure it out before pregnancy. So every time we have a carrier couple now, we talk to them about the option of breaking up and just stopping here. We also talk to them about the option of rolling the dice every time they get pregnant, and then you can actually test a baby during the pregnancy to see whether or not it's affected with the condition. Mm -hmm. If they see, you could do it pretty early on in a pregnancy. Um, the name of the test is called a CVS or an amniocentesis. Um, both of those tests are done by doctors and basically they can test the fetal material, whether it's amio amniotic fluid or placental material to see whether or not it's affected. And you could do it pretty early on in the pregnancy, like towards the end of the first trimester. So I mean, it's not too late. The end of, no, the end of, the, what do you mean too late? It depends what you mean by that. Meaning like if you test it and they're, they're positive and the baby does have something, then. Right. So then, then what do you do? That's a very good question. So that's when we, you know, talk to them about, well, what do you do? And I think that it really depends on the couple and what their rabbi says about it and what other people say about it and how severe the condition is. Like they're going to have to make pretty big decisions about how to proceed with the pregnancy if it turns out to be positive. But that is some, op you know, that's an option that some of our couples do. Listen, not everybody is Orthodox who comes through J-Screen or who has genetic testing. And some people have different, you know, ethical and religious beliefs. So everybody's different. Um, I'm very happy to include a rabbi in the conversation if a couple wants me to. Um, I think it's really important that they have the right guidance when it comes to these things and that people don't just make decisions willy-nilly. So I'm very happy to include the rabbi in the, in the discussion. Mm -hmm. But that's another option they have that they didn't have back in the 80s. Um, another option that people have nowadays, which is also pretty new, um, is to use a technology called in vitro fertilization, IVF. Um, you might have heard of IVF before because you might have heard it in the um, fertility. Fertility, right. Exactly. So if couples might be having trouble getting pregnant, they can undergo IVF. So basically what an IVF procedure is, is that the male submits a sperm sample and the female gives an egg sample they put it together in the lab and they make an embryo in the lab. Then once that embryo is a couple of days old, they implant it into the woman's uterus and hopefully that leads to a successful pregnancy. So a lot of people nowadays use this technology when they're having trouble conceiving. So in the genetics realm, we can apply that uh, technology to also check to see whether or not the embryo will have a genetic disease. So they do the IVF procedure where they make the embryo in the lab, but they add in one step along the way. So right before they implant that embryo into the uterus, they can actually do genetic testing on it. So it's called pre-implantation genetic testing. Before they implant it into the uterus, they do genetic testing on it. If they see that the embryo is not affected with the condition, then they will continue the procedure, the whole process, they'll implant it, and hopefully it will lead to a successful pregnancy with a baby that's not going to have the disease. But if they see that, it's like the coolest technology ever, right? So wow. if they see that the embryo does have the condition, right, that one in four chance, they discard it in the lab and it never becomes a viable living being. So it's a way to avoid getting pregnant at all with a baby who's going to have the condition. And I found that a lot of rabbis prefer this. Of all the different options that we have for people, the rabbis definitely prefer this one because you're not dealing with halakhic issues related to termination of pregnancy. You're not dealing with other halakhic issues like another option we give people is to use a donor egg or a donor sperm who's not a carrier for the condition. 
that has a lot of halakhic implications, right? Because you're thinking about maternity and all those kind of things. Is it a Jewish mother? Is it not a Jewish mother? There's so many implications yeah. that come along with so many of the other options that this IVF with the genetic testing of the embryo, actually a great option because you're not dealing with any of those um, issues that could come along with it. Right. Um, I mean, like, why would, why would someone decide to like go with an entire pregnancy all the issues that come with the pregnancy and then all of a sudden they find out the baby isn't okay and then you have to terminate the pregnancy that's so much more of a headache in my oh, opinion it's so difficult yeah emotionally it's so difficult to do that but there are reasons that couples will choose that over the other option so i don't know if you're familiar with this but people who undergo ivf it's a big deal you know yeah, it's financially sure. a very big deal that's Most a headache in of itself yeah, that's a reason. That's the reason that most people don't do it. I mean, one IVF cycle could be twenty thousand dollars, and that's just for right. one. Let's have one baby, and a lot of insurance companies don't cover the cost in the states. Um, in Israel, they do, but not in the states. Um, besides, for that, it's pretty. It's a heavy burden on the woman, you know, emotionally and physically. Like going through IVF is a very big deal, and for some couples, it's just not the right decision for them. And, and that's why when I said in the very beginning, genetic counseling is such an important component of all of this because we will sit down with you and we will take each couple as they are. You know, it's not a blanket statement like I think you should do this or I think you should do that. It really depends on who I'm talking to and what their resources are, what their religious and ethical concerns are, um, what, how severe the condition is versus it might be a mild condition, like where they are in a relationship. Did they just meet yesterday or have they been dating for seven years? Like each case is so different than the case before it or the case after it that we have to be sensitive to all of the needs of our patients and all of the concerns of our patients and i think that at j screen our genetic counselors are excellent at that like we really have a good handle on the community um, and we understand all of the sensitivities that come along with the Orthodox community, especially. Um, and also I think the, the Persian community, a lot of them overlap between the Ashkenazi and the Persians when it comes to these things. And that's why I think that you can't go wrong with doing a test like J-Screen because just in case there's a problem, like we're gonna help you through it and we're gonna do right. it in a responsible and sensitive way. Beautiful. Esti, if you don't mind repeating, you said the, op the different options a couple has. You said one is IVF, yeah. The other one is amniocentesis, which is- Yeah, so getting pregnant and then testing the pregnancy. Yeah, was there another one that you said? Um, yeah, so another option you could, you could consider, not as common in this community, is to use a gamete donor. So that's to use an egg donor or a sperm oh. donor who's been tested and is not a carrier for whatever the condition is. Um, some couples will break right. up, right? That's another option. Another option is to not break up, but also not have biological children. So to adopt, right? That was very common in the 80s when we didn't have all these other technologies available to us. Um, what are the other ones? I think that's pretty wow. much it. So we have a lot of options. That's my point, is that there is something you can do about it in case we get to the point where we do see that a couple is high risk. Again, we don't see it that often. I, I'm not here to, you know, wreak havoc on the community. Most of the time things do work out, but when they don't work out, we could figure it out before something bad happens. And, and that's why okay. I think the education piece of all this is really important. We're not just raising awareness to the fact that there is something, you know, major going on in the community. We're raising awareness to the fact that there's something you could do about it if it does affect you. Love that. It's empowering people to take charge of their life and make choices. Yeah. Um, so how, I know you spoke in, in the past, in, the, in this interview, um, about people not being comfortable with it because not me, it's not me, like, no. Um, how would you make 
those people more comfortable with doing J-Screen and the genetic testing that comes with it. So I think like involving the whole community might be helpful. Like I think that there's definitely peer pressure in general with things. So let's say we had a screening event where people, everybody comes to the shul or everybody comes to the whatever event that happens every year, then it's kind of like not as big a deal as like doing something in privacy, you know, and like doing it in your own home and nobody knows about it. If you make it into something secretive, then people will see it as a secret thing and a private thing. But if you make it into something like, oh, is it just something the community does? Like we swab when we need a bone marrow donor, you know, if you just make it something like that, it's not the same thing. They're not actually related. But if you make it into a community problem and a community thing that people just do, I think people might be more receptive to it. I, I hope, listen, I, I don't know for sure, but I think that would be one way to try to dissolve the stigma around getting tested. Um, if people still don't feel comfortable with that, going through JScreen, not through one of these big events and just doing it from the comfort of your home is another option. Like we send you a FedEx mailer. So nobody knows what's in it. Nobody hopefully is opening your mail and people have no idea that you're doing it. So whatever people feel more, com whichever way people feel more comfortable, they should do it. And like I mentioned before, I think having the rabbi or other um, like influencers in the community talk about it and spread the word about it is really, really important in this community. I think, like mm -hmm. I said before, people need the buy-in from people mm -hmm. who are um, influencing the community. So if the rabbi sends out a bulletin or an email or talks about it from the pulpit on a holiday or any Shabbos, then I think that's another good time um, or another good way for people to spread the word. Um, if This is probably not going to be so common, but if people who have genetic diseases in their family are willing to talk about it and tell people and write an article about it or also speak about it and I know or speak about it in an event, you know, they're gonna say, I know you think this doesn't apply to you, but it might. You know, that's another way for people to maybe listen. I, I know that's probably pushing it a little bit. But you know, I do know there are a few people in my community who are advocates of it. They have something and they're you know, they're very open about it. They speak about it publicly in order to prevent other people from getting it. Exactly. So I applaud those people for sure. I applaud them too. And I implore them to help us, you know, because I think that, you know, they were going through the same thing as just everybody else. Everything's fine. Everything's great. And then sometimes it's not great. Again, right. most of the time it is okay. But just to show the community, like it doesn't always work out. Look what happened to me. Make sure you could do, do whatever you can to prevent it from happening to you. I think that speaks to people, you know, when they see yeah. a child who's sick, who's dealing with so many different medical issues, I think it like pulls at people's hearts a little bit more and they say, whoa, you know, like that can happen to me too. So I think what's important basically is having influencers in the community spread the word and push people to do it. So having the mm -hmm. rabbi do it, have other people in the community who've been affected by genetic diseases doing it, um, having the principals at the schools talk about it, um, having other medical professionals who the community um, looks up to would also be really good. So if there's- I think this is only for the people who are hesitant and resistant to knowledge and to getting to know themselves but for people who like want to know this isn't a problem no i don't think it's a problem at all i mean i have many patients who come from your community who are fine with it but exactly. for those who need a little bit of a push to do it i think another really great person to do it might be a doctor in your community who's very trusted you know because right. people 
like to see that MD at the end of their name. And I, I think there's something to that. So if you have a doctor who, you know, has some kind of re relationship with the community and says, hey, I, I'm signing off on this. I think that this is something you should do. I think that would also really help. So just having the right people in the community to say, it's okay, guys, you should be doing this. I think that might help as well. So to me, it's like the peer pressure part of it. Like everybody's doing it. We should do it too. And also having the buy-in from community leaders would help as well. I would love that. that that's awesome. And we're happy, by the way, at JScreen, we're happy to come to anywhere to do these on-site events. So like I mentioned before, sometimes we'll go to campuses, but we also go to shuls and JCCs and any events that are already around. Sometimes we kind of like piggyback on them and we'll come be like a table on the side. So if your community um, would be receptive to this and you think that your community might, might want testing, we're happy to come and do like a, we'll take it on the road and we can do an event where people get tested on-site. And then when the results come in, that's not all done in public. When the results come in, we'll have a phone call or a video conference with you to talk about the results. Beautiful. We'll be talking. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully soon. I have another question. So besides, you know, the specific genetic diseases that maybe like Ashkenazi, the Ashkenazi community has or the Persian community has, do you also test for general like autoimmune diseases? So no, so we don't test for those kind of conditions. Okay. Um, we are pretty strict when we decide which diseases to include on our testing panel. So I would say the two strongest or most important criteria we have is A, how common is the condition? If it's one in a million, we're not testing for it. But if it's common, we think it's important to get tested. And B, how severe is the condition? So if it's a condition like Wolman disease, the one that I mentioned before, where babies pass away within the first year of life, that's serious. You know, that's the kind of information that we think is really important for people to know. So if a disease meets both those criteria, and in addition to that is inherited in a way that we can easily test for it, then we'll include it on our testing panel. Something like an autoimmune disease is not really going to fulfill that criteria because even though it might be common, and I know that definitely a lot of these conditions run in Jewish families, like for sure I see that, there's no one gene that causes it. It seems to be a combination of many different genetic factors, and it's just impossible to test for a combination of things. You could test for one thing at a time, but you can't test for a combination of many different genetic factors. So it's not the right type of disease for us to be testing for. Um, I, I know that these things definitely do run in families, but I can't ever say, you know, here's your exact risk to have a child with it, or here's your exact risk to have it, um, because it usually develops because of many different factors, not just one gene like Tay-Sachs or Wolman disease. Mm -hmm. So you're pretty selective with the, the diseases that you guys choose to test people for. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so Essie, so we're gonna end the interview now, but I want you to tell the audience one last message about why Screen, genetic screening and testing is so important specifically for the Sephardi community. Okay, so I know this sounds very cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. Knowledge is power. It really is. And even though in most cases everything will be okay, you don't want to be the one where it's not okay and you didn't know about it and you didn't do the most that you can do to prevent it from happening. So I, I believe that God has his plan for everybody, but sometimes we should put in our own hishtablut, you know, we should try a little bit. And when we have this amazing technology technology available to us, where we can find out if we might potentially have a very sick child, how can you not take advantage of that? 
you know? And if you know that there is a problem, thank God we're living in a time where there's something you can do about it. You could prevent your child from being sick. Mm. So I, I kind of see it like almost as like an obligation that we have for our children, right? There is a mitzvah in the Torah. It says, which basically means that we should be safeguarding our own health. And I can apply that very easily here to genetic testing, right? It's our moral, ethical, religious responsibility to do whatever we can to safeguard our health and the health of our children. And this is one way to do it. So just like we you know, take medications when we're sick or we go for mammograms to make sure we don't get um, you know, to test for breast cancer and things like that. This is the same thing, right? It's a preventative measure that we're taking to ensure the health of our children. So Beautiful. we should take advantage of this knowledge and we should use it to help ourselves, to help our family members. Um, and yeah, I, I hope that I convinced you. And I oh, you. I mean, if I haven't done it already, I would jump on it and get a kit right now. Um, wow. That was really Can I add to that? Wait, you just said something I wanted to add to, just to clarify. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you did it already. So one thing that I always tell people is that the genetics world is a very, very fast-paced world. And what we know now is going to be different than what we know in five years from now. And we know way more now than we knew five years ago. So things change very, very quickly in the genetics world. So I always remind people that when they're between pregnancies, they should also consider getting tested. Oh, you're a carrier. Okay. Yeah, you're a carrier for something whether you know it or not. So if there is a more comprehensive genetic testing panel available, do it. Even if you already have one or two healthy children, I think that people should have the most up-to-date testing anytime they're planning for pregnancy. So it's not just when you're starting your family, it also applies to when you're adding to your family. Um, at I'm glad I brought that up. Yeah. At now yeah, now you're convincing me. Yeah. I mean, at JScreen, we very often have patients who are getting retested, even for their third time. So oh, wow. anytime there's something, it's not like you have to do it every day. It's not like we don't change our testing panels right. that often. But when we do, we're adding diseases that are common and that are severe. And wouldn't you want to know about that? You know, so yeah, it's very important that people who are adding to their families also just make sure to be up to date when they're planning for a pregnancy. Beautiful. You've convinced me, and I'm sure you're going to be convincing countless other people, specifically in the Sparty community. Um, where can people find JScreen? How, how do people order a kit? What's, what's the process? Okay, we make it really, really easy for people. So all you have to do is, well, there's two different options. So either you could okay. do it online, which is the general way people do it, or like I mentioned before, we could do an on-site screening set. So the way to do it online is to go to our website, jscreen.org. Um, you can just order your kit from the website. Everything is saliva-based. Um, our DNA and our saliva is exactly the same as the DNA that we have in our blood. So we make it very, very easy and very, very convenient for people. You don't have to go to the doctor or get your blood drawn. You could just do it from your home. Um, you register for a kit. You pay the program fee, which is $149. And then we will ship you your saliva kit to your home. Everything is in a FedEx mailer. It looks the same as any Amazon package you might get. There's nothing you know, scary looking on the packaging. Nobody will see it. Um, and then you spit into a tube. Sounds a little gross, but do that in, in privacy in the comfort of your yeah. home. Um, you spit into the tube and then you send it back to the lab. We have a mailer for that as well. And then when the results are ready, about two to three weeks later, we will notify you by email and we will set you up for a phone consultation or a video consultation with one of our genetic counselors who will give you your results. And that's all included in the price? Yeah, all of this is $149. And we're, right. 
yeah, obviously we're, we're your genetic counselors for life. So once that consultation is over, if you have any other questions or concerns, we're still here for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. And like I mentioned before, our genetic counselors are amazing and they have these, they understand the community and the different concerns and sensitivities in the community and they get it, you know, like nobody's going to make fun of you. Nobody's going to say like, I can't believe she said that we, we get it. Um, no matter who your genetic counselor is, we really understand, um, the needs of our patients and we're here for you. You know, we want to support people through their decisions and we want to make it really easy for you. So, I think JScreen is a really good way to get tested because it's very convenient. It's easy. I think it's pretty affordable compared to what it used to be back in the day with the testing. Um, and everything is done in a very medically responsible way, I, I believe. Um, the other way to get tested, like I mentioned before, is to ask for us to come to you and do an on-site screening event, which we do all the time. So if anybody thinks that this might be a good idea in their community, you can definitely reach out to me and we can set something up in the community. Wow, thank you so much, Essie, for sitting here, taking your time to explain, not only to me, but to everybody who's listening, the importance of genetic testing and basically removing the stigma off of it. That it's like a very normal thing to do. This is something that is an obligation, actually, and it's in the Torah that you have to take care of your health and also to take care of your children's health. So this is very empowering for me to listen to, and I'm sure it's gonna be very empowering for everyone else who's listening to this. I hope so, and I thank you so much for having me on the show because you're just helping me spread the word. So I could do it you know, one person at a time, but this is a lot easier and it's probably a lot more efficient. And I really do appreciate that you gave me the time um, to listen and to hear me out. Um, I learned so much, thank you. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. And if anybody ever has any questions or wants to reach out to me privately, I'm happy to answer any questions. You can just find me on our website, again, jscreen.org. Uh, we're also on social media, by the way. We're on social media, like, everywhere. Um, on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook. You okay, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Esty. Thanks again. Okay, bye. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy this podcast please leave a review. That would mean so much to me. And I would love to hear your feedback about the show and how I can make this better for you. And if you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at Soul Train KK. Have a great day.